0: 37 down, one to go. Norwich City are nearly at the conclusion of what has been a torrid Premier League campaign, ultimately culminating in relegation uh, this weekend, although it wasn't uh, a defeat for Norwich City. And uh, there's a feeling that there's probably going to be more support from North London for, uh, for the Canaries next weekend than maybe from Norfolk, given their current situation. But we'll delve into that in just a moment. Also, so, uh, welcome to this week's pinkin.com, Nori City podcast in association with Future Radio. Uh, I'm your host, Connor Southwell, joined by Paddy Davitt and Sam Seaman to reflect on Nori City's 1 1 draw against Wolves, amongst uh, a, a series of other um, talking points amongst the Canaries nation. Um, Paddy, I mean, people will have noticed that this is a slightly later released pod in the week. And I, I want to reassure them that that's not out of shock that Norwich City haven't lost a game of Premier League football. It's uh, it's largely just down to work schedules and fairly uh, mundane stuff that we won't really get into. But to to take that performance on an individual basis against Wolves, if we touch upon that game very, very quickly... It was pretty positive, wasn't it, from a Norwich City perspective? So, uh, and, and there probably is an argument to say some of their best away days this season, obviously the the game in the FA Cup earlier this season and then that draw, have come at Molyneux.
1: Yeah, what, would, what might have been, Connor, if they could play Wolves 38 times in a season? I think they might have had a few more points than 22 as it is now, but uh do know, some teams maybe just suit the eye of Smith Shakespeare and, and those players, and and that was evident again. You know, there was a cohesiveness in contrast to some of the the wheels have come off performances, certainly since maybe that little fertile spell around January time when they you know, they picked up those points against Watford and Everton, then had a pause. Then, unfortunately, the other side had to run into Man City and Liverpool, and, and bar that home win over Burnley, um, it had been a fairly sorry tale of woe, um, both in terms of results and performances. Largely, yeah, there was Manchester United springs to mind. Uh, they're probably Certainly deserved to get something out of that game potentially if they wasn't making the same individual errors, which has been one of the key factors in why they're going back to the Football League. But Sunday, Wolves, Molyneux, there was a cohesiveness to the to the setup and and the players within it. It felt like a system that that those players enjoyed playing. You know, with Yanulis in a more advanced wing back role, Max Aaron's we know can play that. Um, you had Byron, Gibson and Hanley offering a bit more insurance. And and even ahead of that, you know, that you had pooky with Lise Malou and, and Kieran Dowell in a almost double creative pivot. Um, at times, too isolated. Timu will get into him, I'm sure. But uh, but but with and without the ball, you could see what they're trying to do. I would think, I think it's pertinent that we caveat it, that, you know, it was a Wolves team who were... Um, among the lowest scorers in the top 10, if not the lowest scorers that they, they prior to Sunday hadn't scored in two games against Norwich. Not too many teams have struggled to that degree. Um, and they were going into that on the back of no wins in five. You could see that. It's almost like that maybe the steam's gone out of their season, really. So I think we all, all also have to underline that it, it was maybe a favourable set of circumstances, but you know. There was plenty of positives, I felt, and, and something that Dean Smith could probably take moving forward, both in terms of the setup and the individuals within it. So, yeah, more than welcome. And, yeah, maybe that's the reason we are recording now. I Think about it, Connor, that we needed just a day or two to process a, a team at Premier League level under the label Norwich City. That actually looked like they knew what they were doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of spoke about it Um in my in my verdict after the game, how it it was quite rare, and I think I, I made this point quite a few times, to see a Norwich City team with a game plan actually executing that game plan to some kind of of semblance or some kind of um, credibility, maybe even because I think even we saw at Leicester um, a, a week prior that Norwich City in the first half did look like that, but it's it, it was that inevitable crumble that we saw in the second half, that soft underbelly that's been exposed um all too often, which is uh has maybe been concerning. And there was a period, Sam, where Wolves sort of just after half time, they obviously came back into the game through eight Nori. We're gonna discuss Timmy Puki in a moment, but um it, it, there was that situation where Wolves were knocking on the door, they were putting pressure on, and, and you felt like it was one of those periods where Norwich City would begin that almost, uh, I've used this expression a few times, but almost that England test-style batting order collapse um, that, that we've seen in recent games. But that didn't happen. Do you think that's largely down to this free at the back system that Smith used? And I think he said after the game that he felt they needed to go in that direction in order to to stop the bleeding and stop the, the sheer amount of goals they've conceded. Was that down to system? Was it down to, as Paddy says, Wolves attacking um, inefficiencies I suppose. what would what, you kind of put it down to?
2: Yeah, I think it was one of the biggest surprises for me on the afternoon was the fact that after Wolves got that goal, they weren't able to then just easily play through Norwich as has been the the way so far. You know, as soon as that first goal goes in, you feel like that's sort of it and, and things are only going to get worse from here. So I was surprised to see that. I think in terms of the reason, um, Dean Smith is been quite clear the last few games that he feels like Norwich are much better when they've got something to cling on to. And I just wonder, although, yes, we did see that strong first half performance and then conceding a goal in the second half, um, was it the fact that they already had a goal and therefore were, you know, although they they had conceded and they had lost, um, you know, two, two points once that goal went in, they still had something to cling on to. And I think that's probably the logic Dean Smith would go at it with in terms of, what he's been saying is that Norwich have looked pretty good at nil-nil. As soon as that goal goes in, and they're they're losing and they're having to fight to get back into it, that's when he feels they struggle. Um, the, I think the fact that maybe once that goal went in, Norwich still had a a point to defend and a point to fight for. Possibly that that's the argument. I mean, the system was a uh, system appeared to work quite well. Um, I've seen a few people asking about why he hasn't done this more often, but. Um, worth mentioning that Wolves do obviously play with a sort of 3-5 at the back and Smith has um, pretty much throughout his tenure just tried to match that up. I, I can't remember a time when Norwich have played against a back four and he's gone with a, a back five or a back three or indeed when they've played against a, a back five or a back three and he hasn't tried to match that up. So I think that was more about what Wolves were doing than, than maybe what Norwich were and the fact that they probably worked quite hard in, on how to stop Wolves and uh, yeah, you know, as Paddy outlined in terms of their offensive statistics this season, um, not a particularly hard team to stop compared to their league position. So that probably had a, a good amount to do with it as well.
0: Yeah, you, you tend to find as well when two teams play three at the back that quite often you get a game like we saw on on Sunday where two teams can cancel each other out. I actually felt that Wolves would probably go to a four at half time when they brought on uh, Chiquinho. They, they didn't do that. They stuck with a five. And I think that probably um, went in Norwich City's favour as well. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, Pat, it's, it's too little too late, isn't it? People will, will be looking at, at this season now, willing for it to end. It will do on on Sunday against Tottenham. We're going to delve into that game uh, a little bit more specifically. But, I, uh, but as we close off kind of the discussion around the Wolves game specifically, that moment at the end of the game where for the first time we saw Dean Smith walk over from the dugout to the Norwich City fans. I think everyone on the opposition benched it. it was It was a nice show i i don't know if unity is necessarily the right word but it was nice to see that moment of appreciation maybe from the players and the staff to the fans who have traveled thousands of uh, of miles this season and and seen very little it's not something that we've typically seen from dean smith he likes to hang around at the tunnel as uh, as we've kind of seen do do you get the impression that this was his attempt to to move the narrative on a, a little bit from that
1: perspective yeah, I mean, whether it was a premeditated act or, or not, but very much so because because he after the game talked about almost bringing the parties back together. He talked about togetherness and on, on and off the pitch, and and he did when he was asked actually prior to the game. You know, do you understand the anger from some fan elements? And and he said yes. Said the only way it changes is performances, and by definition, results which should follow from from good levels of performance. And he got that on Sunday. Um, And as a result, yeah, I I, I think it was a a timely reminder, really, that where they're going to now and the challenges they'll face that is a case people need to come back together. And and that's not meant to to overlook or or dismiss the genuine frustrations and grievances that will have to be addressed over the summer. Absolutely. But fundamentally, you know, it's going to be a lot easier to do what Norwich is striving to do now if fans, players, coaches, staff, other elements are, are all singing from the same hymn sheet, essentially, which has been the great strength in the two championship title wins hitherto under Stuart Webber. And, uh, you know, worth pointing out that those away supporters did, you know, acknowledge Dean Smith as well in a very favourable fashion. You know, they they can probably see a guy who's had to front up certainly of late and, and take a lot of the the brunt of, of the frustration, the anger in some elements, um, and he hasn't shied away from that. He's met questions about protests and... Uh, you know relegation head on um and you know while people have started to question maybe him as a coach and the tactical setup and why he hasn't managed to extract more from this group of players over the length of time he's worked with them i think that there's a general acceptance that you know in the situation they're in now he's a very capable leader um, and somebody with the experience to sort of handle what is inevitably for him the first relegation on his coaching cv he's almost learning about that aspect of the job. He's talked again after the game Sunday, how difficult it is to motivate a group who are essentially relegated. Um, so he's learning all the time about these group of players. But, you know, fundamentally, that was a nice moment. And, and due reward for a lot of those fans at Wolves will have been pretty much to every away game because they are the diehards, essentially. And uh, they haven't had precious precious little to, to get behind on that. I was trying to think, before he came to me, I mean, Brighton away—they got a point. I-, I can't remember much since Watford, really, probably, and they went at Vicarage Road. It's been thin gruel um, for if you're an away supporter following Norwich this season in the Premier League, and uh, at the very least, they deserved a performance and they got a result as well. So, you know, it'll be interesting what the fan reaction is this Sunday at Carr Road against Tottenham. Um, but yeah, no, there's there's no disguising the fact that that was a step in the right direction, but to take Dean Smith at his own measure, it'll only build from there if they can follow up what they did against Wolves, against Tottenham, and probably more importantly then at the start of next season. Um, because, you know, if not that frustration and anger, that'll only build, I think, if, if there's no discernible signs that this is going to be different. That's that's
0: Yeah, that's been a, a really key point for me and how I've been kind of thinking ever since No City got relegated, really, which is... This, this disconnect that maybe people are talking about at the moment, the supporters are talking about, and they're far more uh, they're in a better place than us to judge whether they they feel disconnected or apathetic, dare I use that word, with with the football club um, because they're feeling it and they're living it right now. Um, you can understand the frustrations around the lack of communication, given that when Dean Smith sits down to speak this Friday, presumably, unless um, something happens in the meantime, um, in terms of someone else coming out to, to speak, it will be. It will have been three weeks since Norwich City got relegated, and we're yet to hear from anyone other than Dean Smith, who's obviously and obviously players who've spoken after games. But you know, obviously, he's contractually obliged to do interviews, so it, it does. It is interesting what you say around him and how he's adapting to it. And he used an interesting line in his um, pre-match kind of build-up, Sam, uh, around this game, where he said, "Winning is is kind of the perfect sticking plaster," and uh, and that's true. And there's been an element uh, to me where I've been thinking about this, where you think this anger, this disconnect, is, is that just something that can be healed by winning games in the Championship? Is it as simple as that and then it will subside and people will forget about this season and look forward to another promotion campaign? Or is it—is this something that is a bit more long-term? And ultimately, we we won't know. I'm not going to ask you that question because we don't really know the answer to it at this stage. But it—it it is essential that, irrespective of what happens from here in terms of playing squad, in terms of people coming out to speak, that they do bring supporters with them. And at the moment, I guess supporters' criticism of Norwich City as a football club before this moment on Sunday, where obviously everyone went over, was that, that they don't necessarily feel like they have been brought along on the journey. They don't necessarily feel like they have had the answers to really pertinent questions um that, that they want to be asked at this moment in time. So I guess the question is moving forwards, which is inevitably what we have to do, given that Norwich City have very little to play for, healing that disconnect has to be at the heart of everything that Norwich City hope to do this summer.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think they've they've probably got two objectives next season in terms of, you know, obviously getting promoted will be the number one and it'll be quite significantly the number one, but probably more than ever, um, there's a a priority in terms of, bringing the the fans back on side and establishing an identity I mean the last time they had to do something like that in such a drastic way was probably when Stuart Webber arrived so it'll be interesting to see how he handles that expectation and and that desire in sort of a a second phase of his his time at a club um, because I don't believe he's been in that situation before so it'll be interesting to see how they handle that obviously Dean Smith in terms of the identity has a a big amount to, you know, his, he has a big hand in that in terms of what he chooses to do with the team selection and the setup, and a big criticism of his time at Norwich. And you know, speaking from my point of view, I've I've found it difficult to criticise the results because it's clearly a group of players that isn't good enough for the Premier League, and um, but he is in control of what he wants that team to look like and and tactically how he sets them up, and we're still I would say no closer to knowing what a Dean Smith team is now than than we did when he arrived to be honest we're still trying to sort of hold on to to scraps and and try and work out things from clues and and that's not really enough at, at this stage of his time in charge of the club um but I do think winning is is going to have a big a big hand in that I mean you look at the 2020 season fans weren't even in the stadium and, and I think most of them were pretty happy because Norwich were waltzing into a an impressive championship title victory and um yeah, I mean, as much as we talk about identity, obviously the, the main thing that's going to keep supporters happy is going to be wins and that will be the, the priority for them. Getting promoted will be the priority for them. I mean, I suppose it's easier to to impart that sort of identity when you are winning and players are going to want to come out and speak and Stuart Webber is going to want to come out and, and do those interviews and and tell everyone how he's managed to, to turn things around. And I think it all starts with winning um, and yeah, that's obviously gets a lot easier once they're in the championship. But I don't think it's going to be quite as easy to to get back into that rhythm as maybe some people are anticipating.
0: Well, that was that was going to be my follow up question to you, really, Pad. Which I mean, Sam has said there, winning maybe starts that process, that healing process. But is it enough by itself to to heal? What is this disconnect that people are talking about between Norwich City, the football club, and Norwich City fans? Is is winning enough? Does there need to be more elements added to that? I mean, we've seen the club criticised in the last week or so for the way in which they've handled the player of the season vote, um, which, you know, we could have a discussion about. But um, some people obviously feel fairly aggrieved the fact that they've not been essentially um, told that the player of the season vote is open. And this, this kind of communication points, which if we go cast our mind back to 2017, when Stuart Weber and co arrived at the club, it was all about transparency and communication and how irrespective of results on the pitch, it would remain a constant that fans would be in the loop and told and um ensured that the messaging was always there it doesn't necessarily feel for whatever reason that that has been the case this season and and they've been kind of beaten around the head a little bit with that by by supporters um so is is winning enough to heal that or or does there need to be a shift in terms of the way they communicate with and to supporters, but also how they involve them on that journey as well, which they did so brilliantly at the start of Stuart Webber and, uh, and Daniel
1: Farker's tenure. Uh, well, ultimately, I think, on the point of, is that enough, I think only a, f- a fan really can answer that. It's probably not for me to, to, because ultimately, you're asking somebody who who supports that football club, are they happy if it was just about winning games on the pitch, or do they want more from their club, and as, as you rightly say, when Stuart first came in, that's how it was to be portrayed. And and a lot of what they have done has been about the community. And, um, you know, my mind just popped into my head, you know, during the height of the pandemic, you've got the two kit men there going out and delivering whatever it was, you know, food parcels or supplies or whatever. And Christoph Zimmerman, I remember, you know, he went out and, and was knocking doors and delivering medicines and things like that. And they're just two things that popped into my head. But, but you know, there was that element to what the club was about, it it is about being rooted in its community and understanding its fan base um, and not treating them as a customer uh, and as as a transactional relationship. But as, you know, we're all in this together, essentially, uh, to to draw it back to, to, you know, the scenes at the final whistle at Wolves. And and just on the transparency point, yeah, that that has been lost. Somewhere along the way, um, how they came in, how Stuart Webber set that tone, that cultural tone, that has been lost and... You probably need a lot longer than uh, the podcast we're on now to sort of maybe digest or, or or sort of dissect why why that has the case. Is it simply just failing as they do so graphically at Premier League level under this uh, model, essentially, with these people driving this model? Is it just simply that? Is is there something more? Is there something deeper? Um, you know, the, the, there is a, quite an in-depth discussion to be had on that. But fundamentally... As I say, not a fan, but if I see a team on the pitch who are winning a lot of games next season at the right end of the table, you would think as a result uh, that the style of play would be one that you could row behind. I think that, in my opinion, in my where I'm coming from, that would placate a lot of supporters. But ultimately, if that then led to back to the Premier League for a third time under the same individuals at the very highest echelons of the club, and a third se- season following the trajectory of the previous two at Premier League level, we'd be back here again with the same questions, the same accusations, the same frustration. So, you know, it's all, you know, as Stuart Weber has talked about in the past, it's the infinite game. There isn't a finite point where you can stop stop the the merry-go-round and then take a measure and then that is representative of the whole of the Stuart Weber at Norwich City in 2017 onwards. There's been very, very brilliant phases, you know, some tremendous stuff and on, on and off the pitch. You know, it doesn't help when they're not able to win games, but w- what's happened at Colney is transformational and, and that will be for, for 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 generations of academy players now will reap the benefits of that. That's all that mid to longer term outlook that Farker and Weber used to trumpet and that's all the positive aspects of the legacy. But fundamentally, a lot of the angst, a lot of the frustration right now is being filtered through another team another squad, another recruitment cycle that has been palpably failed uh, in terms of getting them to even a position where they're competitive in the Premier League. You look at the points differential between them and Watford and the other 18 clubs, um, You know they're 10, 11 points off being even competitive, even being in that discussion for who's going to go down now between Burnley, Leeds, Everton, um, which you know fundamentally is a failure. It's a failure of the recruitment. It's a failure of the squad build. Um, and uh, and it comes on top of a failure of similar proportions in 1920. And of course, we all know that that was probably ahead of schedule. They didn't have the finances to go and get the player they wanted. But this time around, they had the finances relative to Norwich. They also had the lessons that they should have learned from two seasons ago. And I think, really, for me, that is that is where a lot of this frustration and anger uh, and sense of something has to change. We can't be back here again. 12 months from now, yes, basking in the glow of a third promotion, which would be some achievement. If Norwich were to follow up two title wins with a third consecutive championship promotion, again, you want to look at legacy. If Stuart Webber's still at the helm, that goes in the positive side of the ledger. But if it's then the precursor to what we've experienced this season, what we experienced two seasons ago... Then, you know, all the engagement that they want to do in the world and all the transparency and communication, I don't think will address that. Uh, And I did see something, I didn't actually click on it, but they did put a tweet out, I saw the club that is, a day or two ago, about fan engagement and about something about a supporters charter. So, must confess, didn't actually click on and, and read what that was about, but is that a signal that they want to move in that direction where they want to be, again, seen, whether they would disagree or not, but the perception is that they're not collaborative, they're not communicating well with their fan base irrespective of of media Um, and maybe that's a step in the direction of acknowledging that and trying to do something about it but fundamentally for me um, until it's right on the pitch and the squad and the head coach then you know anything that they want to do in other areas I think is a secondary consideration it now has to be very much about getting this right for next season
0: We live Norwich City The Builder (laughs) the passion the drama the last minute winners the debate that's why we've created Pink Pink and Plus
1: the app that takes you beyond the headlines with exclusive columns, blogs, podcasts and videos, we've got you covered subscribe today, Pink and Plus stay ahead of the game
0: download now on the App Store and on Google Play Yes, absolutely, which 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 makes it all the more intriguing for me. And like I say, I think it poses questions that we'll only really be able to answer when, when next season starts around where supporters are and where supporters are f- uh, feeling. We've obviously seen more empty seats, I would say, and there are various reasons for that, obviously. But we've seen more empty seats in the last couple of games at Carrow Road than I can remember seeing possibly ever but certainly in, in the last decade uh, or so um, like I said there, there is other kind of mitigating circumstances to that and ultimately what we've seen on the pitch doesn't doesn't help um, let's let's shift this on then to Team of Um I'll advertise at this stage that you guys were both involved in a Monday night club which is a, a, a podcast uh, exclusively available to Pink and Plus subscribers looking at Timu Puki. Uh, I think it was in comparison to Grant Holt, wasn't it? Of course, he's he's now matched uh, his goal scoring return seventy eight. He's done it two games quicker, uh, and of course, without a League One season as well. Uh, which I'm not using that to beat Grant Holt with, obviously, who was a, a wonderful Norwich City player. But those were the circumstances he was in. But worth noting that Timu Puki has done it in the top two divisions as well. Um, Sam, it was it was a trademark Puki goal really on Sunday. It was one where he almost sort of caught the keeper out, one that was maybe um, typifies him really, which is based on intelligence, based on m- really good movement as well. I thought he, he gave Conor Cody an absolutely torrid afternoon. He was he was took off at half-time as well, wasn't he? But in terms of Timu Puki, as a player, as someone who, who scores goals for Norwich City, as someone who is a free transfer, some footballer, isn't he?
2: Yeah, and this is arguably his most impressive season, given what's been around him. I mean... Yeah, the intelligence to to score that goal and to, to score many of the goals that he scored. Really, I mean, rarely would you see uh, as prolific a player who manages to roll the ball into the net so slowly on such a regular basis. But it's, he's just got that that intelligence, and without being the most powerful and probably the most skillful or the most quick footballer, he just he just knows how to find the net, and he knows clever little tricks to to do that. And I suppose that's why we've seen him over the years get better with experience really you don't don't really talk about a 32 year old striker continuing to get better but if we look at his his campaigns um you know from one for, from one to the next it's it's been improving all the while really i mean i'd argue this is far more impressive than the 11 goals he got in the last premier league campaign given that last time he had Emmy deal with him and uh, yeah on on the the monday night club podcast i i used the comparison of a sort of younger um, kid in a Sunday league game who's maybe grown up a bit faster than the rest of the kids and just gets given the ball on the halfway line and told, you know, beat these five defenders and score a goal for us. That's what Tami Puki has to do every week against Premier League defenders. And he still managed to to do it on a pretty regular basis. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's just done unbelievable things for Norwich week in, week out, really. And yeah, looking back at the, the points total and the results of this season and, and quite how poorly Norwich have done, just highlights what an unbelievable player he's been and, and what an achievement it is to score eleven goals in this team. Um I thought it was actually probably as as far as I can remember, his best performance of the season on, on Sunday actually. And um yeah, just highlighted everything that he was about, especially with that goal.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, again, we could we could delve into all kind of statistics. I spoke to Timo apuki actually in the in the Molyneux tunnel, um, uh, and and he kind of was asked the question about whether this season, or he was happier with this season's return compared to essentially what he did in the Premier League two years ago which was 11 goals and he said that actually a target he set that he set himself was to score a bit more consistently obviously he had all 11 goals by January in the last Premier League campaign he's obviously done that uh, more consistently and like you say Sam we've, we've probably not a lot of service the fact he is also Norwich City's top assister says that he has had to be his own well not his own supply line but he's had to be Norwich City's Supply line as well. I mean, his goal goal involvement percentage sixty one percent. That's higher than any player um, in in the Premier League. Obviously, relative to the amount of goals that Norwich have scored, Norwich are so reliant on ImpaDi and they're so um, essentially. If, if if an opposition team stops Team of Buki from scoring, quite often they stop Norwich City from scoring. That's clearly a, an issue that that Dean Smith will have to address in the summer and uh, moving into next season, obviously, providing puki is is here, which we'll get onto it in, in a moment. But w- would you agree with with Sam? Is this his most imp- impressive, I suppose, season in Norwich City colours, simply because of the circumstances and the lack of creative, well, creative presence that he's had around him, really?
1: I think that's a fair comment. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the two championship seasons, um, he's got the Argentine maestro p- pulling the trigger and then you know, even in the Premier League, you know there was, a, there was some really nice link-ups with Cantwell early doors in that season. And and he wasn't really the same player when he got the broken foot, I think it was from memory, at Leicester around about December that season. Um, and, you know, this season, I wasn't aware he was a top assist maker as well. But while you were saying that, Connor, I'm just having a look down just to graphically underline what we're talking about. Kieran Dow, one Premier League goal, 18 appearances. A player who you would firmly bracketing that creative category, should be adding goals, should certainly be adding assists. Um I'm scrolling down here, Pierre-Lys Malou, 32 appearances in the Premier League, one goal, not good enough. Matthias Norman, okay, slightly deeper, but we've seen the quality that he's got on the ball, 22 appearances in the Premier League, one goal. Um, I'm not reeling off assists, but I'm pretty sure neither of those players, or Dal for that matter of Too many in the assist department either. Kenny McLean, 31 appearances, one goal. Not good enough. You know, um, Rashid's a biggest disappointment for me. 30 games, Premier League-wise, one goal. Um, One or two assists, obviously. But, you know, Norwich are where they are now, sadly, because they haven't got that creative ability in the final third at Premier League level, with the exception of the main man. And uh, I'm afraid as a newly promoted club, even coming back for the second time, um, you need more, you need more, you need more than reliance on one person. Um, and Dean Smith acknowledges that, you know, he when he talked about the wide players recently, he said we speak to them constantly about their goals and assist but We work with them on it on training, but ultimately, you know, we need to see it in, in a game cycle that hasn't happened often enough. You know, he talked about earlier in the season, I'm pretty sure he talked about McLean, Lise Malou, uh, Norman, Gilmore, these lads, they had to chip in. They didn't do that over the piece. And um, by no manner of means is the lack of creative output, tangible output. I'm not talking about nice bit to play, lovely threaded balls, good movement. We're talking goals and assists. They're the metrics that count. And Norwich palpably have, haven't had enough of those type of players at this level. Um, and allied to obviously the individual errors and and the, the weakness defensively too often this season. It's a toxic mix. Um, but, heaven, I mean, I, I said it earlier, you know, they're still 11, 12 points off, sort of being back in touch with the other 18 clubs. You take Puki's productivity out of it, it'd have been, well, uh, well, I dread to think, you know, I mean, there's frustration and anger now. What would it have been if you subtract Timu Puki's goals and assists? It would have been a Taylor of woe, as it is already, but but to, to a level, hitherto unplumbed. So, yeah, tremendous, tremendous, from that man that he's he's carried the weight and the burden and the expectancy. But him alone, it, it wasn't going to be enough, and it hasn't been enough. So, um, yeah, we we all just hope maybe to move this forward that that you know he's still in and around it come the start of next season. Absolutely, and uh, and and that element, Sam,
0: in terms of the the interest in him this summer. I mean, he's he's now scored more than more than twenty goals across two Premier League seasons. That's a hard feat in himself. I think there was certainly watching that game on Sunday, thinking if if Wolves had Timi Puki rather than Jao Jimenez up front, they may well have been in a in a better position. He's. Um, I mean, you, you look at some of the company he's keeping in terms of the Premier League, um, goal scoring list. It's incredible for a team that's been as poor on a, in an offensive perspective as, as Norwich have been, there will be clubs inevitably this summer who are looking for a striker, who are looking for that natural finisher with really good movement, somebody who works really hard and, and undoubtedly Timu Pukki will feature on a shortlist of some club somewhere. Um, and it begs the question really, do you, can you foresee a situation where, even though Norwich have obviously activated this option that they've got in his contract, where Norwich City are kicking off in the championship next season and it isn't Timu Puki leading their front line?
2: I can't really, but purely because I think he's worth way, way more to Norwich than whatever they could get from any buying club. I mean obviously
0: well, that's Sorry to jump in again, but I, I'm going to have to ask you in terms of what what sort of fee would you think it would take for for so like we said, thirty two. So not necessarily got age on his side. I think if he was twenty six, twenty seven, this this discussion would be very different, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, if he was twenty six or twenty seven, there's no question. He's probably he's probably going for 20, 25 million and that's probably a good good deal. And Norwich are backing themselves to replace him with some decent Championship quality for a much smaller fee, but. The fact unfortunately is that they're not gonna get near that figure for a thirty two year old and they're probably also not gonna be able to find a striker that's anywhere near as good at championship level with their their budget i mean they you know I'm not trying to discredit their their work, but they did sort of strike gold when they signed him on a free in the first place as good as as good at recruitment as you are you just don't get that lucky that often um and I think they would have to invest a significant sum of money to guarantee them championship goals and they're not going to get that sum of money for a a 32-year-old that's just been relegated, unfortunately. So for that reason, I I do see him sticking around. He doesn't seem like the sort of character that would kick up a fuss and and try and force his way out. I think there'll be more of a discussion to be had if he continues his, his form. There'll be more of a discussion to be had next summer, especially if Norwich don't end up getting promoted. But for now, I just I just don't really see it being worth it for, for either party. Obviously, if you're looking at the sort of financial aspect as well for Puki, he's obviously on a decent championship wage because of that that clause that meant he's he's basically going down with his Premier League wage. Um and yeah, and I just don't I, I don't see how it, it works that well for either party. You know, he's got a, a young family as well, probably doesn't want to move them. So yeah, I, I probably do see him at, at Norwich, kicking off in a Norwich shirt next season. Um, although, yeah, like you say, if he was a 26, 27-year-old, it's probably a, a a very good fee. If you look at the sort of money that the likes of Ollie Watkins went to, to Aston Villa for, that's sort of 30 to 35 million, and he hadn't even played in the Premier League at that point. So, yeah, if he's that sort of age, it's probably an enormous fee, and the Norwich are, are loving to collect that. But, yeah, it's not going to get close to that, and I do see him in a Norwich shirt next season.
0: It's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the, the contract situation obviously does give Norwich a, a bit more security. And I felt the uh, the comparisons that, that you gave there were interesting because um, take someone like Neil Morpay, for example, who, who obviously Brighton signed for, uh, you're going to have to help me out here, was it £20, 20 million? 20 million quid at the time. You, you look at the two Premier League seasons that he's played in, that Timo Puki has also played in. Puki's outscored him twice in both campaigns. He got 10 last time and uh, he's currently on eight this year. So obviously that that could change in the final game of the season. Um, Possibly not. But, Pads, I mean, is it a situation where, because I, I think, forget kind of the Premier League, inevitably you would imagine there will be some clubs on the continent that would be interested in Timo Puki as well. So is it a situation for Norwich City, irrespective of what happens in this transfer window that a discussion about a new contract does need to happen at, at some stage and i suppose it's up to him and you know every conversation that that we've ever had with Puki and from well, the conversation we've had from other people as sam says it does seem like him and his family are very happy in norfolk but you, you never really can can work out for sure what's going to happen uh, at the start of a transfer window so Is it a case, even though this option has been activated, that a conversation with Timu Puki will need to be had about a where he sees his future, but also about the possibility of extending his say even further? If not, we're in a situation twelve months' time where Timu Puki could walk out again for free.
1: Well, that is true, but if it comes off the back of him firing Norwich back to the Premier League, is he going to turn down? Because there'd be no question Norwich would want him. Then even thirty-three going on thirty-four, they'd want him in the Premier League. And if you're Timu Puki, it is still the allure of the Premier League. I think he'd, I think he'd, he'd accept another deal beyond that. So that scenario doesn't concern me. But ultimately, you know, we're talking about a lot of this. Pod has been about repairing bridges, the uh, the engagement levels, that sense that we're all in it together. Can you can you begin to imagine if Norwich sanctioned the sale of Timu Puki this summer? Uh, that would play with the the, the general populace.
0: What was, um, uh, what was the quote from the Wolves fans about Neves? You'll have riots on your hands, wasn't it? Well, that, was, that was the chant. It would be, be similar, wouldn't
1: it, it? We don't want to talk that up. I don't think that happen in Norfolk from my experience living here. But an already disaffected, I think it's safe to say, without launching into hyperbole, fan base would be... Well, I don't even know how you, you manage that situation in terms of the messaging. If you, if you offload TV Puki on the back of what we've discussed about, is it, absolutely critical influence on this group of players, certainly at Premier League level, magnified at championship level. I just don't see that scenario. Um not only on terms of the, you know, Norwich would have to have well, you know, some serious plan B lined up if they were to sanction a team who so. sale. I just think the way Dean Smith has talked around him um prior to taking the option on and, and then post the confirmation of it coming out, Dean Smith, again a very wise sort of counsel. Around the block knows what it's all about. Every soundbite he talks about, Timu Puki is he's here next season. Uh, we need to supply Timu with it, that creative 10. We need Adam Eder and Josh Sargent and Jugal maybe, to step up and help Timu. You know, he very much is planning with Timu Puki in his championship plans and a leading role given you know his influence thus far under Dean Smith and prior to that, Daniel Farker. So the only the only way I see that change is as I say, if Dean Smith wants him if City know the sale of him and how that would play out, which they surely do, uh, and they didn't have a, a viable alternative to put on the table to placate your fan base, then the only aspect of it is Timu himself and his representatives and his family. If they feel something tangibly comes to the, to them that, that is an offer they'd like to explore and maybe even take up, then it's a game changer, isn't it? Because ultimately, if Timo Puki says he wants out, you know... It's, it's, a, it's a difficult one to convince him otherwise, given he's only got 12 months left and then Norwich could. Clearly not the figures you boys were discussing, commander transfer fee, but but a transfer fee nonetheless. So that's the only way I think this shifts this summer uh, in terms of is Timu here or not, is if Timu and his representatives and his family feel there is something out there he'd like to go and explore. And and you just don't get that sense. You know, you spoke to him most recently, Connor, at the weekend. You know, the way he's performing on the pitch... How he seemingly is enjoying his football, even in the side which are heading back to the football league. All of that suggests he's very comfortable in his own skin here in Norfolk with a young family. He's loved here by the fan base, you know, the historical sort of class he's now he's now reached in terms of, you know, goals and the people he's he's in the company of the Grand Holtz of this world and beyond, Ewan Roberts and some some of the even, you know, generational strikers, Johnny Gavin, Tony Terry Alcock, sorry. Um that, that they are all ties, I think, that bind. And, and ultimately, you know, he will feel, and I'm sure this is where Dean Smith has been really good, that he's reassured Timu Puki. look, we know this isn't where we want to be. This is not where I want to be at the minute. Stick with us. We'll put it right in the summer. We'll do what we need to do. And I promise you, Timu, we will have a team that is good enough to compete at the top end of the championship and you will be the main man in that team. And I think if Timu Puki has heard those sort of messages, then he stays and and we move on. And then, you know, in terms of the contractual status of him, I'm, I'm pretty sure those conversations will already be have have had, will continue because ultimately you don't want a scenario where 12 months from now he's a free agent and he goes, particularly if it's off the back of a successful season. I think you try and, if if he's still showing he's, he's, there's no diminishing of his powers next season, early part of next season, he's still scoring goals, he's still pivotal to how Norwich play then you tie him down longer because, as Sam Riley says, you know, there's not too many Timu Pukis about. Certainly in Norwich's price range, um, and, the, and the chances of him finding one this summer are pretty limited, I would think. So, you won't get better than him, so you keep him. You, you build around him again, and then if everything falls into place, they're back in the Premier League in 12 months' time. Timu Puky will be still in and around it, albeit then the narrative will probably shift at that point, given his age, to. There needs to be succession planning, but you know, in the intervening twelve months, Adamida may really blossom under Dean Smith's tuition, and um, and he then this time next summer looks like a player who could finally carry the mantle and be the successor, the natural heir to Timu Puki that Norwich will inevitably need to find. But I guess, as Dean Smith said when he, he was asked about, well, have you, will you, will you, will you have learned the lessons when you get back here again? Dean Smith shut down that question the other day and said. We've got to get back there first. So you can imagine that Dean Smith isn't worrying about Timu Puki twelve months from now. It's just in the hearing now, how do I amass a squad that is good enough to get us back out of the first attempt? And the question mark there at the top end of the pitch is very firmly, you keep Timu Puki. Yes, absolutely.
0: Um and we'll we'll end this this debate on on Timu. Um because you know contrary to popular opinion we do we do like to be positive every now and again on this on this podcast so sam let's let's paint a picture where as we said um theoretically timu is is still at the club next season which we obviously very much hope is is the case um i've got the the norwich city's um top goal scorers list in front of me he's now obviously level with with grant holt in sixth um I mean, his goals per game rate is is zero point four seven, which is pretty staggering. It's only uh, Ralph Hunt, I think, in the top ten who has a higher goals per game ratio than Timu than Puki. Um, with another season of Championship football, how far up this list could he get? He needs two more to get uh, into the top five. Then you're looking at Robert Fleck on eighty four, Ewan Roberts on ninety six as the next two. Could we could we be looking at Timu Puki in a year's time as someone who? is in the top three of, of Norwich City's all-time record goal scorers. Could he be the first man to, to get 100 goals? Um, I'm trying to look, really. It would have been, what, since... since Would it be since... Yeah, it would be since Terry Alcock, wouldn't it? So that would be incredible in itself, really. Could, could we be looking at a man who potentially could do that if he stays and has another really prosperous season of Championship football?
2: Yeah, I think if he was the sort of character that we expect would set targets like that, he would be setting that probably as as next season, you know, and from from you know, reading your, your quotes from your interview with him yesterday, I don't think he is gonna be looking at those sorts of things. He'll probably um he'll probably be told in an interview that that's what he's achieved when when he does. Um but yeah, I think that's what he's he's gotta be looking at. I mean it would be what it'd be twenty two to get to hundred and looking at the the rates of scoring he's got in the championship before twenty nine and twenty six even with a little bit of room for for decline if we're considering the fact that he's going to be 33 by the end of the season i think that's a a realistic target i think whether he achieves it or not it's probably going to be down quite a lot to dean smith and stuart webber's attempts to to set up a team that's going to provide him with the chances and the service that he needs because they haven't they haven't this season i mean you know as as we discussed earlier he still managed to score 11 goals and you know, maybe that suggests that even without a, a new creative player or a new system that's going to provide him with chances, he might be able to score a few. But I, I don't think that's necessarily totally sustainable. So I would say a lot of whether whether he gets into those sorts of brackets and whether he catches up to the likes of Ewan Roberts is going to be to do with the rest of the team. Um, you know, football is a team sport, and as much as we praise a an individual, he's not going to be able to do it on his own. Um, so. Yeah, a bit boring that everything comes back to recruitment. I'm getting sick of talking about recruitment and hearing everybody else talk about recruitment. But yeah, I think if they manage to find a Buendia-esque player, probably aren't going to be able to, to get a, a player to the same level. But if they can find that sort of player that's decent enough at championship level, I don't really see anything other than possibly injury um, stopping him him reaching those sorts of numbers.
0: Yeah, it would it would it would be incredible, and uh, like like you say, just just very quickly, a very 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 big summer for for Nori City's recruitment department as well. But we we don't need to delve into that into any more detail. I mean, one word, Sam, Timipuki, Player of the Season for for you? Absolutely, Paddy. Same for you, I'm guessing.
1: Affirmative.
0: Yeah. So so uh, let's let's actually um do the top three then, because I think uh, for me, first and second are relatively straightforward, but third, I'm really Really struggling. I mean, it remains to be seen if if we if we even find out who finishes second and third in this in this vote. But Paddy, to, to throw it to you, I mean, who, who would you have as your second and third under Timu Puke? I mean, for me, it's it's probably Grant Hanley. But I must admit, I'm I'm probably really struggling now to to fill that third place spot. Um, I don't know about you.
1: Uh, well, absolutely struggling. I mean, yeah, Han- Hanley second, um, and then I mean. Well, I mean, it, I genuinely wouldn't put forward a third, if I'm brutally honest. I, I mean, I'm looking Positive down
2: the list. Tumble.
1: Well, yeah, it's you say that. Well, ten, 10 appearances, 10 appearances, 10 starts. Is that a wide enough sample?
0: It's the narrative, though, isn't it, around it and the fact that he's he's got back uh, to playing and, and the level that he's got back playing to, I suppose. I mean, Grant Hanley did it, I think, in his first season. He only played half a season of football, didn't he, and came in the top three, so...
1: Well, yeah, but that's double the games that Sam Barham has. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't dispute. I mean, I did think Barham and then I discount him because it's 10 games. And that's, I mean, therein lies, you know, if Sam Barham can make the top three after 10 starts in the Premier League, you've had a bad season if you're a squad. So, but in yeah, I mean, that's a very good point, you know, in terms of a guy who pretty much didn't kick a ball for 22 months, really questioned whether he'd come back. Certainly to the level he's reached this season. And now, throwing it forward, you've got Sam, uh, sorry, Dean Smith talking about him as captaincy material and, and probably the most surprising player that him and Shakespeare encountered in terms of their opinion of somebody and then when they actually got to work with him. So that's a fair shout. Yeah, I think, he, but you know, third on the list of three in a team who got relegated. It's, I don't think it's one he wants to be clearing out a part of his mantelpiece for if I was him.
0: No, I think he's big on DIY as well, so I'm sure he's got a few mantelpieces around his house. But um,
1: I mean, if,
0: if it would have been a few weeks ago, Sam, I'd have probably said Tim Cruel for that third slot. But I think mistakes in in recent weeks maybe have. Well, he's obviously out of the team now, and that we we haven't even had that debate around goalkeepers. Maybe that's one we'll say for next week's pod because I think it will be quite telling if Tim Cruel is uh, is put into Norwich City squad for Sunday's game, and maybe the the narrative of what we can read into that or not, as the case may be, um, ahead of the summer. But Third place for for you Sam. Presumably you agree with Hanley in in second. I mean, you've put Sam Byron forward there. Brandon Williams, I suppose, is someone else who's who's been spoken about. I don't necessarily really see that. If I'm if I'm being if I'm being honest, would you throw any other names into the into the mix for that third place spot?
2: Yeah, I think Cruel and Williams is a similar story, really, isn't it? Not that either of them were pulling up any trees, but it's a, a sort of semi promising first half of the season followed by. Quite a few errors and, and quite a sour ending, and I think, yeah, Krull might even have been in the mix for, for first. Probably not. I mean, nobody was ever going to challenge Pookie, given what he's gone on to do. But you know, there is a quite a regular occurrence of the goalkeeper getting it when there's quite a dismal relegation. Um, I think maybe out of sympathy for how often he's he's had to pick the ball out of his net. But yeah, it's difficult to to find more more names to throw into the mix. I remember a time when sort of the, uh, by canvassing social media, you might think Williams was actually the favourite for the player of the season. But, um, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's not not trying to be too harsh on him, but that's how far, you know, a, a young, enthusiastic English player that doesn't mind a slide tackle, that's how far it gets you when a, a team gets 22 points, isn't it really? Well, I mean, we'll see how many they get against Tottenham. But, yeah, I mean, I suppose that's the headline really, of, isn't it, that, that we're saying Sam Byram is the favourite for third place based on 10 games. That's that's one of the best sort of um, encapsulations of how poor this season has been, if you like, that uh, a player literally 10 starts and a lot of them out of position. Um, that That's a, a player we're talking about for the third best, best player of the season. And second is a, a centre-back that's, I don't know the, the exact number of goals they've conceded, but conceded an enormous amount of goals. I mean, yes, it's not not great, is it? As as a, a reflection of how the season's been, and I'd love to be able to answer your question, but as I'm genuinely struggling struggling to throw more names into the the hat. Really, yeah, every every name I, I think of even suggesting feels like um it might damage my journalistic integrity if I put it out there. So it's a difficult one, really. But yeah, this the nature of this discussion discussion really shows how how poor they've been this season, doesn't it?
0: Yes, it does. And uh, I think you're right. I'm probably on board with Sam Byram, actually, after after that. But I must admit, uh, as we said, it's what, 10 starts, four different positions for him. So um, <laughs> there we go. Although I think he's going to, if he can keep himself fit, of course, which is the caveat to any conversation around Sam Byram, it does feel like he's got a rather prominent role to play next season, which in the Championship you you would ex- expect him to to really excel in. And um, That probably brings us nicely to, to the end of the pod. I wanted to, to chat a little bit about... Uh, an event that we're hosting next week at uh, Epic Studios in Norwich. It's going to be me, Paddy Davitt, but probably uh, more pertinently, Chris Sutton is going to be joining us as well. Um, if you are a subscriber to the Pink and Plus app, you can join us for free uh, as well. Um, we'd love to see you there. It's going to be a discussion around this season. You can put your questions to Chris, and I suppose you can ask me and Paddy a couple if, if you'd like as well. Although I don't think we're, we're probably expecting too many with, with Chris in the room, but it should be uh, it, it should be good. It would be nice, Pad, I'll, I'll throw it over to you really to to see people there after what's been a really torrid season. We're going to try and probably move the conversation to be a bit forwards looking as well, but inevitably we, we will chat about the season that's been it's a, uh, it's a couple of days after the Spurs game as well, isn't it? So it's a nice way to kind of bookend the season.
1: Well, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, they, I don't, as long as they don't think we're in a representation of the football club and that they can sort of, um, you know, beat down on us. I don't think for one moment that would be the case, but they'll, they'll it'll be good it will be good and it does feel a long while we've kind of even prior to launching the app you know we talked about these type of live events and um you know trying trying to be in rooms with, with supporters because obviously a lot of what we do as we're doing today you know it's kind of us talking amongst ourselves almost and you know it's nice to get some informed opinion for a change as opposed to what we spout but uh yeah, no, I mean, obviously, Chris, and we, we all know he's a very forthright, uh, opinionated individual in terms of his general media work. Um, but you know, with his with his Norwich connections, um, to get his insight and his take on both this season and maybe, yeah, as you say, to, to want to move it in a more optimistic direction. What comes next, and then beyond, uh, you know, that, that should be a great event. And uh, hopefully, if it goes reasonably well, you know, the first of, of many such events and. Um, As you say, Connor. If you're a Pink and App subscriber now, um, you just need to to go into the app. There's a pinned story, and you click on that, and you'll if you haven't already done so. There's a there's a promo code, so so that will you know get you free ticket for next Tuesday, the 24th, Epic Studios in Norwich. Doors open six, event starts at seven. Um, But I mean, I'll I'll be brutally honest. Obviously, this this podcast goes beyond the sort of boundaries of the Pink and App at present. I mean, if you are not a subscriber. Take out the, the one month free trial, um, which is easy enough to do. There's there's a link on thepinkin.com free site. Um, it's there permanently, so you just have to find that and uh, take out your month's free trial, and then you qualify to attend that event as well. So um, what's what's to lose? You know, uh, a night in the company of you, Connor, firstly, but also Chris Sutton. You know that those events don't come along all that often. So uh, as I say, if you're not a subscriber, go and download it. And you get the added benefit of course not just next week but you get a month's worth of what we do on the app and you know you never know you might like it if you've not already consumed it and, and sort of the the cleaner look to it and feel to it as well as a platform uh, we're pretty happy with how it started six months in but we obviously have plans to, to move it on and uh, you know come and have a look if you haven't already done so so it's a win-win what, what have you got to lose what else would you be doing on a tuesday night in norwich is my question to you boys um well, for me, it would be sitting at home in my slippers, really, but then that probably says more
0: <laughs> about my, my life, to be honest. But, I mean, you're absolutely right. And ultimately, we want to do more of these in the future, and the only way to do that is for people to to come along and to, to help us with them. So hopefully, I'm sure plenty of people listen to this podcast, and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to see you in the flesh, and it'll be good to meet some of you the, and and get your Norwich City opinions as well. So, uh, as Paddy said, uh, details for, for tickets, which you can get for free. As a and subscriber, um, we didn't tell you about the cheat code, uh, in case anyone asks, but you can obviously take out a free trial and do it that way as well. Um, and that's that's the best way to, to see you there. So uh, hopefully we'll see as many of you there as possible for our end of season event. And hopefully by the maybe the next one, as we maybe look ahead for, for next season, possibly, um, will be a, a little bit more positive as well. Um, Boys, thank you very much. Thank you all very much for listening as well. Of course, we'll be at Carrow Road next weekend for the uh, for the finale of uh, of this wonderful Premier League campaign for Norwich City against Tottenham. Feels like um, we might have uh, might be norm- more Norwich fans from North London as as I started the pod with than uh, the, the, than in Norfolk, or maybe more more interested in the outcome of the game. But uh, it's going to be interesting nonetheless. Enjoy the rest of your week um, and enjoy your your weekend as well hopefully the weather is as nice as it is today it's absolutely boiling uh, in norwich from where i'm sat but maybe that's just because i'm sat right next to a window which is not particularly helpful um but there we go thank you very much for listening see you soon